0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Fan Up Fitness and Nutrition Ultimate Podcast. I am joined today by the famous, well-known Ashley, Ashley White. (laughs) Ashley, say hi.
1: Hi, I am not famous, uh, but (laughs) thank you. That's hilarious.
0: (laughs) Um, Ashley reached out to me and wanted to be on the show and wanted to talk about some like 17 different topics for you guys. So I hope you guys are ready. Um, But first, Ashley, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you do?
1: Sure. Hi everyone. Um, My name is Ashley White. I'm a physician and I focus specifically on appetite. So I help people in larger bodies work through some of the experiences that they've had in their bodies, um, and then walk through the process of change all underpinned by a process of understanding uh, the appetite. Um, we build appetite literacy and we do so through our clinics, which are, which are virtual and they take place for anyone in the English speaking world. And then we also do, through, do so through our courses And I use a signature methodology called responsive eating, uh, which is a framework for approaching eating experiences so that you can bring them in line with your hunger uh, and your values.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And for everyone who didn't get that, we're going to talk about all that stuff. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So basically what Ashley was saying is she really dives in on helping people change the behavior of how they eat in a nutshell, right? Um, But but there is, there is a huge difference. And then there's, there's some similarities to what I do and to what you do, Ashley, correct?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And I would say, I would say I'm more on the broader spectrum. I'm kind (laughs) of a, kind of a higher, uh, not higher, um, broader, bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, who would you say you primarily mostly work with?
1: Um, so I, I work with people on a slice of the puzzle. And these are people who are often also working with personal trainers. They may also be working with dietitians. They may also be working with people into nutrition. My work is really focused on the piece of, um, of helping people with the behavior of eating Mm -hmm. and the behavior of learning to read their appetite. So I don't really talk about food selection. I don't really talk about macronutrients almost ever. Um, I don't talk about this way of eating or that way of eating. I really drill down onto how to process the food and the experience of eating that's in front of you, which is a really narrow, uh, way of looking at things Um, and but oftentimes these are the same patients who also benefit from working with a team of people Um, yeah I think yeah I just look at a a narrow slice of it
0: yeah yeah and the reason I wanted to bring Ashley on was mostly because I wanted I want to learn more (laughs) (laughs) I actually was telling I was telling somebody earlier today I was like well I want to learn as much as I can so I'm going to bring on all these other people who can teach me more but I also came to this kind of kind of clarity in the past year of coaching, because I've only mm-hmm. been coaching for, oh man, four or five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came to this big clarity, you know, only doing online for the last couple of years is that not everybody can count you know calories and can track macros and knows what a macronutrient is and even wants to worry about what a macronutrient is, so it's kind of like a a field that like, I really want to dive more into. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I know, I know how Ashley gets when I talk about calorie counting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, I really want to invite people when they work with me to establish the change that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. So the agenda is not mine. Um, And then I also want to invite people that I work with to decide which tools belong in their arsenal. So there are people for whom weight tracking is really productive and calorie tracking is productive. They use it as a form of data. They're able to be objective about what this macro and that macro needs and means, and this calorie count means, and this doesn't. My patients tend not to be able to use those tools as objectively. And that's why they come to me, right? Because the process of change is not simply about knowledge, because if we had, if we could transform ourselves based on knowledge, we would all transform ourselves, but yeah. we don't. <laughs> so the the tools of tracking objectively macronutrients and weight um, can be used by some people really well. It's my experience that they can Uh, and particularly in the group of people I work with induce reactions that are really counterproductive. So Mm -hmm. a lot of my patients will have, um, you know, they'll see themselves in the mirror or they will see a number on the scale and they will have a reaction conscious or not, that is very focused on this objective piece of data. And then they'll struggle to reconnect to the bigger picture. Here, mm-hmm. which is this is one meal, this is one weight, this is one image. That's all this is, right? Um, and there are people for whom, you know they, ha- they should actually be learning a little bit more about what food is in what food or which, which macros are in which food. Nutrition literacy is valuable, but I really focus on appetite literacy, um, which is where we try to not necessarily overreact to one input. But we assess the experience and then how we are internally responding to that experience of eating.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And would you say, would you say the signs? So I know you talked about like some people, and I've seen this too, like calorie counting is not for them. Weighing yourself is not for them. You know, some people love to weigh themselves every day and some people can't even weigh themselves like once a year.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And,
0: you know, taking pictures is not for them. Would you say that's mostly the signs of people that come to you or is, it, is there other signs of like people that have not even tried that kind of stuff?
1: Um, I would say that I'm, I'm not totally sure. So most of the people that come to work with me are super knowledgeable. They're people who have tried many different commercial diets. They've worked with all sorts of trainers. They've, worked, they've tried all sorts of programs. Um, like a lot of people have done Weight Watchers. A lot of people have done Noom a lot of people have gone through like almost everyone went through a keto bit like a gotta love love the keto phase there was a time when keto was really (laughs) really in the ether kind of thing and I I did too I totally did it I've done it I've done it I had to try it (laughs) out yeah well I was I actually was like oh you know the hypothesis underlying keto was felt to be valid Um, and then in five years since it became a real fad, has actually been found to be not valid. <laughs> so well, there's are.
0: there's still there's still like people who think it's still like super valid, and they're mm-hmm. trying to prove it, and they're like, your body doesn't really need carbs, and I'm like, okay, well, but like, just get over it. Like,
1: <laughs> I will say that I need carbs, <laughs> I, and uh, what I'm finding is like t- all the people that I I seem to be coming to to work with me when they would go through intermittent fastings, like they would not eat for like 10 hours, 12 hours, 16 hours. And then the period of eating would be so overwhelming and so mm-hmm. compelling that they actually couldn't focus on anything else. And, and this is like a short-term starvation thing. Uh, and, and so I was like, well, I'm not sure if that's really getting anyone anywhere personally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. I hope I did.
0: <laughs> you did. You did. Um, and, you know, we're just going to bash keto this whole show. I hope everybody knows that, but
1: <laughs> I don't mean, I don't want to point fingers, um, but, you know, I'm really, I really want to kind of move with the evidence mm-hmm. and the evidence is not there for keto being a recipe for improved disease outcomes. It's not there for keto being a recipe for sustainable weight loss. It's not a re- like, there's just the data is not there. It's not to say that some people can't feel better when they have fewer processed carbohydrates, like sure, there's fine, right? Um, I'm not, I don't, I'm not gonna debate that, but that's different than like hardcore keto plus intermittent fasting.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. It's 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 not it's not bad that the keto doesn't work because it works. It wouldn't be that it wouldn't be this popular if it didn't work. Right. Right. But it's totally. the it's like it's the culture behind it. And we're getting way off track here, but it's like the culture behind it. It's also I don't know if Ashley's from Canada. And I didn't learn this until I was telling her all my certifications. And she was like, we don't have those in Canada. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I, we kind of, we kind of linked a little bit, cause I'm a weight loss specialist, which I deal with, you know, people that are usually, you know, when you're a certified personal trainer, you deal with people that want to lose like 10 to 50 pounds.
2: Mm. Weight
0: loss specialist is somebody who's trying to lose mo- over a hundred pounds, you know, 75 mm-hmm. to hundred plus pounds. So
2: mm-hmm. that's
0: why Ashley and I kind of linked, but it's the culture of keto. And I don't know if you have this in Canada, but it's the kind of culture of keto that like meshes with like the kind of culture of CrossFit where people are like-
1: Yeah, no, they're they're one in the same as far as I can tell. It's not a perfect match, but they're definitely like together. Where
0: people are like, oh, if you don't do CrossFit and if you don't do keto, like- Like they don't go to they don't go together, but the cultures are the same.
1: (laughs) It it seems like there was big overlap. I'm not sure if that was like a big marketing thing. I don't know some kind of gym. I'm not sure exactly how that all happened, but I totally agree. That's for sure happening up here. It's less so, like less so now. I think there's a movement towards moderation Mm -hmm. and a movement towards okay, we all kind of just need to live our lives and survive. Um, and the thing that I think goes underplayed and I'm, I'm i'm not sure if you see this in your work but i would be curious to know is that every eating experience we have bears the pressure of our past dieting experiences right because we have this inner dialogue about this food is good and this food is bad and this has this many carbs and blah, blah. and that dialogue sort of exerts itself whenever mm-hmm. we're eating and then also for people in larger bodies the the dialogue of diet culture tends to be very powerful. So they'll, instead of sort of experiencing the food, they'll have experiences where, you know, the voice of their mom who might have been really into dieting or the voice of, um, their own voice, their own internalized bias about what they should and should not be eating in public or not, or like, the weird side eye they're getting from the guy at the next table about like, Oh, you're in a bigger body. You shouldn't be eating burgers. Yeah. Or Who cares? Um, so th- the pressure of the culture that we have created for ourselves is exerted on every meal. And that makes it really hard to decide if you're hungry or not because mostly it's just stress. So that's where I work. Like that's the little micro second yeah. where, where we examine
0: Things. Well, and the, and the more I thought about it after we had our initial interview, after we had our mm-hmm. initial like meeting, the more, and mm-hmm. more, the more and more I thought about it, I was like, no, this is totally true. Like, the way I eat now, like, nutrition literacy, I think, is a very important skill to have. I think uh-huh. being able to look at a plate of food and know, like, this is what my body needs. This is what it can, you know, it's going to help me get to my goal. I think that's something that you can build through calorie counting, and it's a good skill to have, but only if yeah. you're ready for it. Yep. Yeah. And I started thinking about, like, what you were talking about. And I was like, okay. But like, I grew up having an appetite literacy until I was ready to have a nutrition literacy. And some people didn't have that, you know, like, I grew up, up, my mom and dad would be like, I'd be like, man, I'm kind of hungry. And my mom would be like, okay, go eat. Mm
1: -hmm. And I'm like,
0: well, what do I eat? And she's like, whatever you want. Mm
1: -hmm. And then I would
0: eat like a whole box of cosmic brownies and be like, oh, why did I do that? And she's like, probably didn't feel great, right? And I'd be like, yeah. And she's like, why didn't you try to eat? you know, something with, you know, something substantial was her work all the time. Substantial.
1: Yeah. It's, it's then, sub- yeah. I like that. You know,
0: 18 years, it finally clicked. I was like, okay, that's why, you know, people are always like, oh, you have a great metabolism and you can eat whatever you want. I was like, well, maybe it's just because the appetite literacy was built over all those years.
1: Yeah. All right. It was always there.
0: Yeah. They I don't got, know. You
1: never got messed up by the culture
0: versus like, I meet people now and they look at what I eat and they're like, Oh, like my mom would have never let me eat that as a kid. And I'm just like, yeah.
1: "What?" and there's another thing of like, a lot of people talk about, you know, learning to clear their plate. So yeah. as a kid, you are asked by your parents to eat past fullness. So you're you, you as a child, you know, when you're full kids, kids will not starve themselves and they won't eat past fullness if if allowed like t- there are some genetic conditions wherein that that happens um, and there are some situations of high high stress and mm-hmm. starvation but those are not normal situations in normal situations a child if left to their own devices will eat until they're full and stop when they're and stop when they're, when they're done right um, it is when an adult says you better finish that you better take this many you better this um, where they start to like rely on external cues about fullness. And when they do so, they have the the compass that you're you're describing a compass, you're describing an inner awareness. Um, And most people have no awareness of their appetite for a couple of reasons. One is because a bunch of the appetite system is subconscious. We're not really meant to be aware of it. Um, and the other part is that we, whatever part of the appetite system that is subject to conscious control is often on autopilot because, you know, we've been eating for our whole lives and so we're good at it. (laughs) So the, the thing that you, what you're describing is healthy and ideal. Um, and yeah, like as you get older, you're like, oh, I really feel quite uncomfortable when I eat this. Yeah.
2: When
0: I chug a whole gallon of milk,
1: <laughs> yeah, and there are some people for whom it is normal for them mm-hmm. to eat past that discomfort because they're, um, you know, what some people call it intuition. I, I disagree with that term. Is really hard to decipher. They mm-hmm. have a really hard time understanding where they're at with fullness and wanting.
0: So, before I ask my question. Mm. I want you to kind of, cause I think we're on the same page, but oh, so, every, so everybody, so everybody listening knows in your own words, mm. what would you say the difference between appetite literacy and nutrition literacy is?
1: Right. So nutrition literacy is being able to kind of understand the, the contents of food, um, and the basic idea, of, you know, basic physiologic principles about what happens when you are fed and what happens when you're fasted. Um, and that that piece may actually be a bit advanced, I'm not sure. But the idea of like, okay, as a human, I need energy. I get energy from my gut. And I get it by putting food into my gut. Okay. Um, and then my body breaks all that down into component parts. Um, carbohydrates fats and proteins as well as a bunch of micronutrients it absorbs those component parts at various stages in my GI tract my bowel my liver my gallbladder my pancreas they're all involved and then certain instructions are delivered to my body about what to store what to use what to excrete that's like the basics right Mm -hmm. kind of and that's all anyone needs to know and you know certain macros have certain calories so protein is considered energy dense right because per gram there are nine calories that's right nine
0: eight. that's
1: fat fat fats nine
0: fats are nine fat is
1: energy dense nine calories per gram and then proteins four and carbs proteins are four. four
0: carbs are four yeah
1: yeah so four four and nine so per gram there are calories mm-hmm. and you convert that food energy into energy to be alive great that's very simple if we could just eat according to that recipe we would all be relatively um not similar in weight because there's going to be quite a bit of genetic variation yeah um but unfortunately we don't eat like factories like we're not widgets uh we eat not everybody
0: not everybody
1: no like but some people are truly like that is truly It's very straightforward and easy for them oh that's that's
0: me I'm for those of you for you for those of you that don't know I'm a math and numbers guy like you tell me you tell me a threat 3,000 calories and every you know this chunk of steak that's the size of my hand is 500 I'd be like okay I can just have six of those today like I'll be good (laughs)
1: like that that is like not who I work with (laughs) I I get it yeah yeah who would say they would have a lot of anxiety and distress about those kinds of limitations. Decis-
2: yeah, decisions, um, limitations. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and I can and I can imagine their gut would not work super great if they eat six steaks a day. Like you do need some fiber. Like well, I'm not saying that you eat, but it's like and, that's the mathematical yeah. approach. And then I
0: would, and then I would look at it and be like, wow, I have really big, you know, really high protein and fat. Maybe I need like some rice for carbs or like some veg- fruits and vegetables, you know, and yeah. then it would kind of all balance out. Cause you know, build that's how I would build awareness for myself. Right.
1: right, And that's, I mean, that is one level of awareness. Like that's, I would call that learning that's education. And it's, it's very helpful. Like I, I have that knowledge from years spent, um, you know, learning nutrition and sports nutrition and being an athlete. But then there's this other layer of like, okay, well, if that's all anyone ever needed, then we would just like eat the amount that we, everyone, need everyone would be
0: in shape. Everyone would be in shape. Yeah. Nobody would have any problems. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, there would, and again, there's the thing is, even if we all ate the same way, there would still be people who are heavier than others because a big chunk of it is actually genetically determined. Um, well, yeah. And the way that our bodies decide what to do with six steak um, in a day or whatever, <laughs> 3000 cows, whatever.
0: That was a bad example. Um, that was a bad example.
1: Yeah. No, like the, the instructions that our body would give to our gut about how to like deal with that energy load would vary based on person to person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Um, and it would vary, t- vary time to time. So the degree of stress that person's under, um, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of people for whom that having a caloric number results in fixation, which results in eating deeply into wanting and past fullness. Mm-hmm. So the construct that I work with, is this multi-dimensional construct. And most people have heard of intuitive eating. Um, Have you heard of intuitive eating?
0: I've heard of intuitive eating and everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone who comes to me, I will say, I will say it. Not everyone who comes to me calorie counts, but most people do because it's my way. I know how to do it. I can calculate everything, but not everybody's a numbers person like me. Some people are, some people Mm -hmm. aren't, I would Mm -hmm. say it's probably a 70, 30 split. And the 30% that don't, actually everyone 100% of them they're all like okay I'll calorie count or I'll do this or I'll do like three plates two snacks I don't know if you ever heard that one yeah Um, Mm -hmm. and they're all like I want to get to intuitive eating I want to be able to eat intuitively and I'm like well what does that mean to you and that none of them have an answer none of them have an answer I just I just they're just like I want to look in the pantry and just be able to decide
1: right and and like yeah super me too (laughs) that'd be great (laughs) um uh and 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 so, intuitive eating, the, the very basic idea is that there is an internal knowing. We have an internal awareness of fullness and hunger. And that if we respond to hunger and we respond to fullness, we will naturally eat in the middle. We will, our body's desire to be between like three and seven on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being so full, I'm ill, zero being. I'm so hungry. I'm dead. Right. Yeah. So we kind of want to be between a three and a seven. You don't want to eat past seven. You don't want to let yourself go under three. It's this like one linear dimension, hunger, full, hunger, full. Mm -hmm. And there's whole methods around this. Um, And one of, you know, there's lots of advantages of this kind of method because it does give people a sense of, you know, listen, you can do this. Right. But then the more we actually learn about weight and the more we actually learn about what it means to be in a larger body metabolically, genetically, behaviorally, we realize that there are tons of people and like a lot of people, even who are at a normal weight, quote unquote, who eat far past seven, who eat past 10, right? Yeah. And you and I have probably done that both, mm-hmm. right? Like I definitely, because I really struggled with appetite literacy is not a skill I came across as a young person. And it, it was a skill that was made far worse um, through eating disorders. Um, I don't know what a seven is. And I spent a long time trying to be like, I can eat to 20. I, if left Un- in unhinged. I will yeah. just be eating. And yeah. then, you know, people were like, oh, that's just because you're in recovery. And once you're sort of out of recovery and you're, you're feeling kind of more normal weight, your, your fullness will be satisfied. And then I gained a hundred pounds and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I could gain another hundred more. Like this doesn't seem right. And so my experience of intuitive eating was like, hold on, I don't feel safe here because you're telling me that there's some magical fullness barometer, but I actually don't think there is. And then I'm like, okay, well then what is fullness? What is the appetite? And then you start breaking it down into its component parts and you start looking at it and actually intuitive eating is two single dimension it's it's hunger and fullness when actually people eat for all sorts of reasons they eat because they want because they are seeking reward because they are seeking pleasure because they are seeking anything because they're seeking it is the process of seeking Mm -hmm. and seeking food is relatively inconsequential it's not like seeking booze or cocaine or whatever it's food right it's everywhere and you have to eat so my concept of appetite literacy brings in this dimension of wanting
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and responsive eating is about okay beyond intuition which is not the same in everyone um what is it like how do you, how do you create an eating experience that understands that there's hunger and fullness sure but then there's like wanting and then how do you create an eating experience that understands that every meal you have is enmeshed in the culture in which you live and by culture I mean norms about this body and that body and carbs and fats and blah 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 so that is the work and one of the challenges I have so when someone says I don't calorie count I just want to like magically know what to eat I'm like I'm not totally sure yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and maybe if you were like four, I think four-year-olds know. Like my, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. I think she knows. I think she knows.
0: Well, and, I, and I just
1: want to like let her keep knowing.
0: Well, and here's the here's, thing I can attest to this too, is as adults, like we have so many other things in our mind that when we get hungry, we think about food and then maybe we make food or we grab food or whatever. But then like halfway through the meal, we're thinking about something else. Oh, yeah. and Not so, even
1: halfway. None. like
0: so that's why some people will just you know they'll get distracted and some people eat like i know when i'm busy and distracted the last thing i do is eat right and that's just you know i grew up skinny and everybody's like well you have a great metabolism I'm like no it's the it's the behavioral stuff that i grew up doing you know right. i spent i spent all of my days whenever the sun was up outside playing and then my mom would be like hey come in and i'd be like i haven't eaten all day like <laughs> i didn't even think Whoa. about it
1: well whereas that would never have happened to me ever right? Because I would have been food occupied. I would have been like, okay, well, where am I going to eat? And when am I going to eat? And how am I going to eat? Um, those questions link to my genetic lineage. They link to, to like generations of, mm-hmm. of people, people starving and people not having enough. Um, and it also links to probably just like a bit of a, a gatherer versus hunter mentality. Like I'm a female. And there's like a sense of like, sort of gathering and, and serving that kind of is primitive and probably yeah. something I don't even observe is happening, but it probably is happening. Um, and what you're describing is yes, yeah, some people can literally, literally completely de-emphasize food day to day. They just can. And a lot of it is because food didn't become, food was not weaponized as a child food was not anything beyond fuel. And I'm not saying that that's like normal because actually I find that that's quite rare, Um, but that's where food fit for you. Whereas for a lot of people, food was a mechanism of expression of every emotion. Oh,
0: everything, yeah.
1: (laughs) And then now they're left to be adults and they struggle very much with a world that will have them be excluded because of the size of their body, but the size of their body is often a reflection of relationships having been under pressure and stress and food being part of that relationship. So I, I think that when you're working with clients yeah. and my like with patients, it's really like, what's your story and, and what tools can we offer you? What are your goals? And how would you like to approach that change? Mm -hmm. Pretty simple.
2: I think the,
0: and this is kind of this, this, you know, I talked about this clarity earlier in the last year about nutrition and about Mm -hmm. how people eat. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not black and white. It's not calorie counting. It's not anything, but I have actually learned a lot during the weight loss specialist stuff. And I think the, the idea that most people don't understand is how we eat or how we feel hunger, or how we feel appetite, or how we feel full even, comes down to one of three things, or a combination of three things. Hmm. Um, how we behave, our behavioral systems, mm-hmm. um, our emotional, being able to process emotionals, uh, mm-hmm. emotions, emotionals,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then just our mentality around things like food.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, and all that, like in every chew.
2: <laughs> like every single time, hot.
1: every that's single hot. time. Right. That's a, that's heavy. Right. And as you know, there's lots of people out there who are not in larger bodies who are thin, right. Who also struggle,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who are also like, I don't know, food is so hard. Food is difficult. Right. Um, and but those people are given the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you said, you know, you were called skinny. Um, and you, you know, many comments were made about your body. Like, Oh my God, you can eat whatever you want.
0: You can eat whatever you want. You need to go have a cheeseburger. Like... Yeah.
1: Like, first of all, don't talk about anyone else's body. Second of all, you're like, you No assumptions can be made about you. Yeah. <laughs> i being skinny. Like what, what does that even mean? Right and here you are having been influenced for in terms of like the career you chose about those comments right even though you were normal and that that's how powerful um, the commentary can be about you know yeah. thin people must be this way heavy people yeah. must be this way you don't know who knows
0: yeah and it's it's crazy it's like mm-hmm. living and you probably know this but being in the being in the fitness and nutrition industry just how people perceive other people yeah like you know and I don't know how you feel but like you know just being a fitness coach myself because you're a physician Mm -hmm. but being being a fitness coach myself people are like well you're a dude so you have to be like really really big but also really shredded and have a six-pack and I'm like I can't do both like I mean I can I can I can one day but like I don't want that. Like, I want to be bigger, but not like super big. And so this, you know, it's just kind of that, like, no. And then I've actually had people that are like, oh, why would I listen to you? Like, you're not in the best shape of your life. I'm like, yeah. Okay, cool. Whatever. (laughs) Like,
1: sure, man. (laughs) You know, you probably don't want to work with that person, to be honest. Um, (laughs) You know, I have thought about it. I was like, okay, well, if I, you know, my weight has really varied Pretty widely, like I have a hundred pound, hundred plus pound swing on either end. Mm -hmm. Um, And right now I'm pregnant. I'm 22 weeks pregnant, so I'm gaining. I'm gaining weight regularly, as I should. Um, And I have often I launched the appetite clinic on the the lower end, like not not my lowest. My lowest was quite ill, but on the lower end of my weight. And I'm like, I wonder if like my patients would want to work with me if I was heavier right? Or like, yeah, pregnancy, when I deliver this baby, and I'm not like evidently pregnant, but I'm still bigger. Um, will that affect my ability to like, attract patients? Like, I don't know. And will I, will I do some marketing photos? When I'm heavier? Well, like, am I brave enough to do that? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to, right. And my own discomfort with that is about like my own discomfort with that it's not really about the offering that I have because that's still the same yeah Uh, and it's not really about whether or not I know what I'm doing because I do um I'm obesity board specialized like I'm certified by the American Board of Obesity Medicine and I've been doing metabolic medicine essentially for five years
0: there's that word you hate though
1: what obesity I know
0: Ah. (laughs) we haven't Ah. even talked about that yet
1: (laughs) do you want it do you want to talk about that
0: I mean, you can finish what you were saying first.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, am I going to show myself as a bigger person yeah. in, in the obesity space, right? Or the, the quote, obesity, unquote space. Um, yeah. Am I going to do that? And of course I'm going to do that. Right. Cause actually we all get to play here. There's no, <laughs> there's no rules. And I was funny, I was having a conversation because I'm. I'm in, I do my personal training. Like I do, I work with a personal trainer, um, because I find that my workouts are more satisfying when I do. Yeah. And I, she was having this, this talk, like she used to be quite lean because she really struggled to build muscle. Um, and now she's very, very powerful looking. And she was like, you know, I want to know what would happen if I became much heavier. And didn't look as as like strong but I looked heavier um would people want to work with me and I was like honestly Nicole I don't know I think I think people have reservations
2: oh about, yeah oh yeah and I'm
1: like okay well what the hell is that about right that's stigma that's bias
0: it's whereas it's a tough field <laughs>
1: And you know, what's funny, what's, and like metabolically, I'm not sure that a lot of people understand this is that a lot of people have assumptions about heavier people that they actually have low metabolisms, but when you are carrying around additional weight, that's, you are going to carry more lean body mass. So you will have more muscle, right? Because gravity asks that you build muscle. In addition, you will have higher tensile forces on your bones, which means your bones will be stronger. Um, and you will actually, because you have more muscle and because you have more non-fat mass, you may have a, like a lot of fat mass, but, but proportionally, um, you have a lot of muscle, mm-hmm. uh, your metabolism is higher, right? Cause mu- muscle drives metabolism. So people don't understand that actually when you're training or working out with someone who's heavier, you may be dealing with someone who's super powerful, right? Super strong and super capable. Um, and when you're working out with a skinny person you have no idea who knows maybe they're super strong maybe they're not i don't
0: know it's crazy though because like i grew up and i when i started in the fitness industry i worked at gyms and park districts and all this stuff and you know i always found the coaches that looked like they want knew what they were doing but then later realized that the people who actually don't look the part probably know more and it's not that's not always the case but like yeah When I first, when I first started, I worked at a big box gym. I'm not going to say what gym I worked at. And I was about 140 pounds, maybe 150 pounds, somewhere around that range, super lean, like 10%, 11% body fat probably. (laughs) And the same day I started this, this 230 pound bodybuilder also started. And so Mm. I was like, I'm going to work out with that guy. Like he knows what he's doing. He's huge. Like, (laughs) right. And he always, he coined this term for me that I like, it's stuck with me ever since. Cause he's like, oh, you're, you're skinny, strong. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, if you're one of those dudes that like you're skinny, you don't have a lot of size to you, but you have a lot of lean muscle. And so you're super strong. Cause I would, I would compete with some of his lifts, not all of them, but some of them. And he's like, dude, like you have the potential. And I started realizing, I was like, you know, that's when I kind of realized I was like, I, can teach people how to lose weight and teach people how to gain muscle, but I'm not like, there's these coaches out there. that are like, Oh, I could teach you how to bulk, like put on 20 pounds in 20 weeks and then cut down your body fat in like 10 weeks. And that's just not me.
2: Like,
1: well, I gotta tell you, man, a lot of those people are using, uh, illicit substances to do that. Yeah. I know it because I'm, I deal with the consequences of it in the emergency room and elsewhere. Um, and the size of your sarcomeres, like the extent that you can bulk without like bad drugs that hurt you Mm -hmm. is limited by your genetics, right? It just is. And, And like, I don't know how strong someone is, right? I remember I used to wrestle in high school um and I was I did not I do not have a wrestler's body I'm six feet tall and I'm kind (laughs) of like I tend towards like not really having much muscle but like my I'm very gangly looking if you can't tell um but I remember you know they would throw me into the ring against some of the lighter women like the women who were like 60 kilos and I'd be like holy F these people are strong <laughs> um and I'd be like and I'm like not known to be strong but I'm kind of like wily, um mm-hmm. and that's how I, I actually did kind of well as a wrestler because I was really hard to move um but these smaller women were, would easily outpower me um and I'd be like like mad respect to them yeah um because you cannot evaluate someone's potential based on their appearance in any way, in either direction, you can't. And then I would, sometimes if I gained weight, I would end up being in a weight class that was known as the unlimited weight class, which I think is a really, not a term I enjoy, obviously. Um, and so I would be wrestling against women who who were definitely like 100 or more pounds heavier than I was. Um, and a lot of those women were very capable. A lot of those mm-hmm. women were scary to me. <laughs> But wrestling is a place that they felt welcome. They uh-huh. felt like their body could be invited into that place and they could perform really well. Whereas a lot of other sports, like the only other sports that were really welcoming to women who were that size were like javelin, shot put, uh, discus, um, not a, sometimes swimming, but like not, like it was hard to play basketball at that weight, um, Not as, even if you were fast. It was mm-hmm. like, honestly, because- like girls are g- terrible to each other <laughs> like sometimes right as are boys in the gym
2: oh yeah. yeah oh yeah
1: yeah yeah so anyway like totally on board with this idea of like hey wait a minute I actually don't have the ability to make assumptions about someone's nutrition or their performance based on their weight I just don't yeah Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm glad that you're
1: not one of those like raging bulky guys, because that's, there's almost always exogenous testosterone involved.
0: I, I like always thought like growing up, I always thought I wanted to be those guys who like lifted the heaviest weights and took the pre-workout and like, you know, flexed in the gym. I like to flex in the gym. I like to take pictures of myself now for social media. In fact, actually, no, that's a lie. I hate taking pictures of myself for social you media, have to. but you I do it anyway. You
2: have to. Um, I
0: have to, you know.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: and I always thought like when I first started working out, not even in the fitness industry, but just working out that like that, that was going to be me. Like the big guys, you know, right. scream, screaming into the camera. And then I was like, no, like.
1: Those people I'm, are really voidy.
0: <laughs> like I have no problem getting a little, passionate into the camera and talking totally. about t- talking about something I believe in uh-huh. but like not like not like those guys that are like the veins are popping in their forehead like
2: <laughs> no well,
1: and like here's the thing about being a doctor is that sometimes you see these guys in super vulnerable situations that they don't plan on being in right because you're you're there when things go wrong and you see the underbelly of this you see maybe the signs of prolonged testosterone use that are going to have big serious implications for them. Um, You see things like GHB use causing like total disruption of their family life. Um, You see things like steroids causing all sorts of cardiovascular and vascular disease. Um, You see things that you think, I wonder if this trade-off was what they would have gone for. I wonder if the big meaty guys who sold them this bill of goods also told them about the other stuff.
2: Well, and I, I
0: I kind of developed this theory. It's kind of a life theory, actually. It's not just fitness, but it's kind of a life theory that I developed through this process is if I'm going to do something Mm. and it's going to make me feel or think or behave in a way that I don't like or doesn't serve me or doesn't make me productive I don't want to do it
1: you seem very balanced as a human
0: (laughs) (laughs) well and I I I, I (laughs) listen to I listen to a lot of motivational videos and I really take them to heart and like you you know you can go out there and listen and, and I tell these I tell people this all the time is your body, no matter what you do to your body, will not change unless you change how you think in your mind, right? And how mm-hmm. you behave. Mm-hmm. And the amount of the amount of teenage boys I tell that to, the 18-year-olds that are like, no, just hit a PR in the gym and your body, you'll get gains. And I'm like, no. no. But like you're not you're not uncovering like what's actually wrong. Like that, you know, there's this, there's this quote or like this line that the, like go to the gym to fight their demons. Yeah, and I'm just like okay, like I was at that point at some point in my life. I've been through that, and uh-huh. like we talked about, we both tried keto before.
1: Oh yeah. I think
0: I think the reason, the way I think now is because I've been through every phase and every stage and every fad diet and every like different workout plan.
1: Trial oh, by fire.
0: Then the, like then like everyone can put out like I've tried everything in the book Me and too. realized yeah. I realized like that. that like the only thing that matters, and I've kind of coined this term for myself is sustainable transformation yeah if it's not sustainable it's not enjoyable like it doesn't matter long term right
1: Right. and and I would add transformation on what terms Mm -hmm. right on on whose terms and I you know a lot of people criticize (laughs) criticize me or or whatever because I'm I'm the doctor who like doesn't talk about weight loss um and it's 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 not that I don't ever think that weight loss is a reasonable option for some people. Um, But it's that I am never going to set the agenda for someone. What do you mean by that? So if someone comes to work with me and they say, you know, listen, I've got type two diabetes. I'm really struggling to control it. I've got um, serious knee pain. I can't get a knee replacement until I, I am feeling, you know, I'm this weight, If someone comes to me with metabolic urgency and they say, doc, for reasons that are consistent with my values, I would like to lose 5% of my body weight or 10% Mm -hmm. of my body weight. I'm like, totally, of course, let me help you with that. Right. And sometimes it's more right. But if someone comes to me and they say, actually, I would really like to to work on this concept of appetite literacy. This skill is one. I just want to be less stressed out by food all the time. Right. Then that's the goal. That's the goal. Right. It's not, um, Oh, let's, you know, let's secretly use that as a path to weight loss because weight loss may arise, but also if weight loss does not arise, it is not a failure. If weight loss does not arise from that increased skill, that change, that, that like learning process, but your quality of life is better. You are more attentive to your relationships. Mm-hmm. You're, you feel good in your body. Right. Then that's a win.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So this is, this comes down to this idea of like, what is the transformation and on whose terms? Um, because if you're coming to me saying my husband, you know, is cheating on me. And if I lose hundred pounds, he will stop cheating on me. Darling. That's not true. He's gonna keep cheating on you. Yeah. No matter what. And you're gonna get a hundred pounds lighter. And you're gonna still hate your body. And he's still gonna cheat on you. And then what? Then what's gonna happen? You're probably going to result in behavior, you're gonna, you're gonna rely on behaviors that are very reward-driven to comfort yourself. And that's probably gonna be food, and that's probably gonna involve weight gain again, and then you're gonna feel bad, and people are gonna judge you. And, and like, why, you know, So the transformation on whose terms matters. So it's not that I say, don't come to my clinic and never lose weight, blah, blah, blah. But it's that I am more concerned with the path to change and the terms of change than I am with the uh, number on the scale.
0: Exactly. And that's, and that's something that I'm learning to coach more mm. is. Mm. People come to me and they're like, I want to lose weight. And I'm like, why? And they're like, I have no idea.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what the culture says I should do with my time. My free time should be obsessed with making my body look a certain way.
0: Or it's the same thing of like what you're saying. It's like this super big urgency. Like I need this surgery and I have to lose 50 pounds before the surgery and the surgery is in three weeks. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, uh, um,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Here's what I'm learning about a lot of people. And this is what I was talking about earlier is like, you know, I can, I can teach people how to lose weight. I can, I can, I can get anybody to lose a pound or two a week if they Mm -hmm. follow exactly what I say. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, if they follow exactly what I say and what I know to be true and what I've done myself, Uh they can't, they don't have the behavioral, the mental and the emotional capacity to handle that. And it'll all come back because they'll burn themselves out. Yeah. And they, they haven't changed anything about their mind or body.
1: Right. And so when we talk about, okay, well, what is, what is the thing that's doing that? And, and this is why a lot of people do regain weight after gastric bypass is because they eat into wanting and, and that wanting is seen as bad. Um, but wanting just is like, it's part of being alive. We want stuff. Right. Um, and a lot of us just like want food. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so so let's talk about that. Isn't it, don't be ashamed. Let's talk about it. What's it like to want? What does wanting feel like? Learn it, study it, you know? And then it's like, oh, hey, I actually feel like I can shift my perspective on this because I have language for it. And I don't necessarily feel like I'm constantly trying to suppress and ignore whatever it is I'm living with some degree of acceptance
2: mm-hmm.
1: over what it means to want more. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to chat briefly? I know we don't have very much time, but chat briefly about obesity and why I don't like the O word.
0: We should, but I also have I have one more point. Sure, yeah, one more okay. point, and it kind of goes with everything you're saying. Mm. Is you know, we talked about um, kind of how we have similarities. Uh huh. And in our, in our coaching program, the Limitless Fitness Academy, we have different phases. And the first phase is awareness. And I didn't hear you use that word at all, but that's all I think about when you talk about like appetite literacy is like mm-hmm. being aware of hunger and appetite and how you feel and your you know, we use metrics like how you're sleeping, how your mood is, how your energy is, um, and how your hunger is basically. Yeah. And, you know, nobody graduates that phase and goes on to, the next phase is accuracy which is like let's really dial in calorie counting and let's really That's be happening. accurate with, let's really be accurate with your numbers. Yeah. And so I'm starting to realize that like we kind of have an appetite literacy phase first. You totally do. And you then totally. move and then move to a nutrition literacy of like here's here's the numbers behind what you're eating. Right. Now, that you, now that you understand the awareness of like how you like to eat, when you like to eat, you know, how things make you feel, whatever it is, now let's move into the nutrition literacy and I'm kind of thinking like maybe the awareness should be longer but and I or
1: just like it it should just like never be over
0: well and that's and it it never really is over right I do have people that go through a 20-week program and never graduate the awareness
1: yeah and so then that makes me think well you you're dealing with an undiagnosed mood disorder or you're dealing with really undiagnosed sleep apnea and that's you know
0: that's where I've started opening to a lot of people is I, I used to go into coaching and be mm. like, you know, people would be like, I'm going to lose weight and I'd be like, great. How much? And now I'm like, well, why, why yeah. exactly do you want to lose weight? And then mm. three weeks in, I, I, I will tell them, I'm like, listen, I don't think losing weight is in your ballpark right now. Mm. I think you need to work on relationship with food. I think you need to work on your hunger. You know, I think you need to be more aware of appetite and that type of stuff. And so exactly what you're talking about. And it's, it's only because I did that behavioral weight loss specialist certification that I've started opening my mind to more like in personal training, it's just, you know, people want to lose weight. You teach them how to lose weight. like, that's all it is.
1: The end. (laughs) Um, And I wonder, I guess I'm curious, since you have created a space of, it sounds like you've created a space that is much safer for people in larger bodies um, or people with big appetites, um, to come and be seen. It sounds like it compared compared to like a lot of personal training and nutrition spaces. Um, and it sounds like you're willing to take a hit on like the results and the marketing or whatever. Oh, I,
0: I you don't care do, me. And, and like, I used to be so, so, so driven on like, Oh, I need a before and after from you. Right. And the day and age we live in is before and afters are great. They really help people get they to see do. the transformation, yeah. but you know, there's, there's other forms of just. Well,
1: and if enough of us stand up to say like, what? Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, that's true. That's true, too.
0: that's true too. But like, there's other forms that you can get from people, you know, not yeah. everybody. And th- this is what we talked about earlier but not everybody likes taking pictures of themselves.
1: I do not.
0: I have, I have, I have clients that go through the whole program, not wanting to take a picture of themselves. So I don't have before and afters. I have reviews and I have, you know, you know, testimony, written testimonials, and Mm. it's just not seen as powerful yet. It will be, it will be one day.
1: So word, so the thing is people respond to how you make them feel. Mm -hmm. So if someone works with you and they feel like, oh, I've learned something. I've seen, I've seen a part of myself differently. And also they don't feel judged. That's going to spread, right? Well, and that's,
0: and that's the thing is, and I, I can attest to this is I know a lot of coaches that get the before and afters, but then after the 12 week or their 16 week or the 20 week program, the clients are gone. And Uh. I, I know that for us, it's not a hundred percent, but we keep a lot of people because on how they feel, we don't get a lot of before and afters anymore, but people like to stay around because of how they feel. Yeah. And if somebody, you know, has a huge transformation, but feels like crap, like it's not going to matter. Like mm-hmm. they haven't, they have, you know, some, it might come back. They might leave the coach. Like, you know, and that's something I learned just in training is I would get people, coming into the gym when I did in person and they'd be like, I want you to just beat the hell out of me every day. And I'm like, well, why? And I always ask people like, well, why? Like, no, why do, do you want that?
2: And they're like, and so, well, that-
1: I get why they want that, right? Like, yeah. I was a varsity rower. I love the feeling of pain. Like I like love, I'm like, that is the most intense experience ever. Yeah. But everybody, I get it.
0: everybody always right? made it like maybe 10 minutes. And then they're like, okay, ease up. Because I know how to do that. I like I said, is- I can I can get people to burn, break a sweat and burn a bunch of calories and calorie count and lose a bunch of weight, but sure. it's not going to they're, they're <laughs> be, they're not going to be, they're not going to, they're not going to enjoy it at all. And they're never going to come back because they're going to be like, oh, like this guy was too intense or whatever it is. Right. So it's it's just, I'm kind of right in the middle there, like sustainable. And,
1: and like, so, so this is it, the S word. Totally, totally. And, and I I think fundamentally, like I My offer and my invitation to people when I invite them into my program is like, this will be it. You'll never need another diet program or book because you'll know that they suck and they don't work. Yeah. (laughs) So so you, you will only be interested in pursuing education and learning after this, you will not be interested in pursuing a magic fix Mm -hmm. because you'll know intuitively that there is not one.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we never got to your O word. Do you want to touch on it real quick?
1: Yeah, just briefly. So the the word obesity comes from the Latin obesis, which is to eat oneself fat. And so we know that their definition of obesity is far more nuanced than simply calories in and calories out. And so it's a term that is um, wrong. So it's medically incorrect. Um, and it is almost always defined by BMI category and BMI category was developed by a Nazi scientist in the 1800s based on a sampling of Western white men, Mm. um, and does not appropriately capture differences in body mass or body muscle or composition
2: Composition,
1: does not Imbue any knowledge about a person's health status. And so it is an incorrect term measured incorrectly. Um, And I offer to my colleagues in medicine in particular that we can do better than that. Oh, I know. And that's why I don't use the word.
0: My doctor, I've been trying to gain weight for my whole life, real quick before we sign off but I've been trying Mm -hmm. to gain weight my whole life and I go to the doctor and he's like oh you're almost at 200 pounds and I'm like yeah it's awesome like I'm trying to gain weight I'm still staying lean like 200 pounds and 40 percent body fat is still pretty lean yeah and we're good and he goes well you're overweight on the BMI scale so you should probably lose weight
1: (laughs) come on man oh bless him he's just he's doing what he learned he's doing he's
0: doing his job he's doing what he learned
1: but we can do better
0: we can do better we can figure out a new way, and we will one we day. We can. Do you have any last remarks for everybody, Ashley?
1: No, thank you for having me. This was thank fun. Thank you for being here. This like, went really nicely. You can check out my program at drashleywhite.com. That's about it.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off, everybody. Keep sweating, keep smiling, and I will talk to you guys soon.